everyone and welcome back to another book podcast. It's always such a pleasure to have one of our own authors on the podcast and this week it's the truly wonderful Gronya Murphy. I was able to talk to Gronya about her incredibly moving novel Winter People that came out at the end of last year and is still a highlight of 2022 for me as well as her new novel that will be publishing in April 2024 called Greener. Listening to Gronya talk about her books is just as lovely as reading them so we hope you enjoy the episode. As per usual, a quick disclaimer. Despite any connections to the publishing industry, all opinions on books and biscuits are completely our own here at Another Book Podcast. So let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, Grania, and welcome to Another Book Podcast. We're so happy to have you here in London as well. So nice of you to come into the office. Thank you. It's nice to be um, over in London for a change. Yes, even if it is a, a fleeting visit, yeah. but all, all book-based, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just going to jump right in and just okay. start asking you. So, when did you start writing? Um, tricky, well, it's not a tricky question. Um, I used to write as a child, so I used to write really terrible rhyming poetry that <laughs> hasn't survived the passage of time. Um, and then in secondary school, I wrote very much fact-based stuff. So I did debating and that sort of thing. And I always really liked English, but it was very much fact-based mm. um, essays and things that I would have written. And I remember writing a short story in Christmas of my last year in school. And my teacher was very kind about it and said, yeah, this is absolutely a story. You know, this is, you know, you can you can do this. Wow. Um, so that was really nice. And then I went on into various jobs and writing was always part of every job I've had so if there was a report to be written or whatever I was always given that but I didn't start writing fiction again properly until I was in my 30s oh wow yeah so then started writing seriously I suppose um again yeah so we um had moved country my daughter died um, which was very difficult and one of the ways I dealt with it was I, I decided to write her story um, kind of start to finish you know just to to partly to make sure I didn't forget anything and partly so that my surviving kids would have it when they were older um, and then so that was a really good thing to do it was very therapeutic but it also was quite difficult so I would be quite agitated maybe after after doing that so I started writing fiction as a kind of a uh, like a way of sort of coming down out of out of writing nonfiction. So I would write nonfiction in the morning and I would write fiction in the evening. And then eventually I had finished writing Ali's story and I kept going with the fiction. So wow. I just it it just it brought me joy and it brought me great clarity and it um it was a really useful way of figuring out what I thought about things, which when you're living in a different country is you, you spend a lot of time trying like finding out new things and then trying to decide how you feel about those things or like putting them into your worldview or whatever and figuring out you know who you are and what you want in a in a different place so fiction was a great way of exploring that so yeah kind of stuck and if you don't mind me asking where were you living at the time we were in brussels yeah oh wow amazing yeah Yeah, it was it was lovely it was a great place to live we were there for five years so we moved back to ireland in 2016 okay Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I can't even imagine like going through something like that and then writing about something like that. And I, I assume fiction is like then the sort of escapism you need after, you know, because yeah. that's not only confronting it, but then mm. also kind of really delving into such a horrible thing to happen. Mm. So it's yeah. amazing that you were able then to go to fiction and, and have that as sort of your escape. Well, fiction is brilliant. I um 
during COVID, you know, there were so many online events and I went to, um, went like virtually in my, in my own room, mm-hmm. um, went to bits of the Hay Festival. And I remember hearing um, Paul Dolan of the London School of Economics saying that, you know, in, in life, there's no counterfactuals. You don't get to see what would happen if something had gone mm. a different way. Unless you write. So when you're writing, you can see, well, how my things have gone in six or seven different ways. So each time I, I have a book coming out and people will say, oh, and I, you know, am I in this one? And who am I in this one? <laughs> my answer is always all of the characters are me. They are all me. It's an extra monstrous ego exercise. And they are all, you know, who would I be or what would I be if? And that's where the fun is, I think, you know. That's so interesting that they're all like different versions of you in different yep. lives. <laughs> And also so sad for those people that desperately want you to write about yeah, them. Yeah, Well, I don't know if they desperately want me to so much as they're like, tell me you didn't. So, <laughs> I never have. Yeah. Tell me you kept me out of this yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so does that mean like your, has your writing process been the same for each book in terms of like getting into these sort of different characters, different mindsets, or are you, do you approach each one differently? Mm. Um, I suppose, so with Where the Edge is, I had written it um, oh, years ago, um, originally, and then I had spoken to an agent who said, you know, this it, it should be more commercial and, you know, you should, I remember her phrase, she was saying, you know, you need to put a clock on it, you know, it needs to be all about the rescue and, you know, can you go away and do that? And I thought, great, you know, an agent likes it, so I'll go away and do that. So I tried... <laughs> Desperately tried for months to do that and um, did all the research on the kind of the rescue end of it. And the Cork City Fire Brigade have the best website um, for, <laughs> you know, accidents and events and and, and big, you know, negative uh, occurrences like that. So I found them really useful. Um, but I could not make it more commercial. I just couldn't. Mm. It didn't. It didn't come to life for me. I wasn't. I found I was less and less interested in the story um, the more that it went in that kind of plotty direction. So I stopped and took out all of that stuff, added a new character and went right into the characters and what they were interested in and what was going on for them at the time. Um, and suddenly I felt, OK, this book, I can I can see it, I can feel it, I can understand it. So I, I'm, I was really pleased then that, um, that that was the one that was published, that that was the... It was obviously the right fit, you know. Yeah. So that was I was yeah very happy with that. Mm. I think as well you can you know there's there's definitely there's multiple styles of writing but there is kind of the the plot led ones where you you know you follow this timeline there's disruptions all this kind of thing but then with your books you get this definite sense of they're completely character driven mm. you know the characters and their personal development and what they're going through is the plot mm. and that obviously you know seems to come naturally from you and and your writing and I think maybe because that's what I'm interested in reading so right you know I know people say oh write the book you want to read and I don't know if that's necessarily true or if it's necessarily useful as a place to start when you're writing but I think unless you are um unless it is the kind of thing that you would be interested in reading yourself Mm -hmm. then it's going to be very difficult to sustain the interest in it for the you know 12 or 18 months or whatever length time it takes to write um with the so you were asking if the process was was the same each time um, with the ghost lights, it was a little bit different because it was inspired by a real case. So the story of Peter Bergman in Sligo, who was this gentleman who died and it turned out he had checked into a hotel under a false name and nobody knew who he was. And even now, years later, they still haven't identified who oh, he was. Wow. And he had gone to 
fairly significant lengths to hide his identity. And I was fascinated by this story when I heard it. And there's CCTV footage of him and everything. Like, it's a whole... Oh, wow. You, know, you, you could rabbit hole. <laughs> Very people quickly. Do, people do rabbit hole. <laughs> um, so I was really interested in that idea. But the more I thought about it, what I was actually interested in were the people that would have seen him or come in contact with him on, mm -hmm. on that last day. So um, I knew then that it was their story that I would write. So I suppose it was starting from a different place. I wasn't trying to rejig something that was already there. It was just inspired by this particular thing. And also then by the um, the moving statue phenomenon in Ireland in, in the 80s, which is the first kind of massive cultural thing that I remember from childhood. And I, I knew that whatever I was setting, it was going to be set in a village that had had a moving statue. So that um, the two then the two things then kind of came together and... Uh, I, I I put him into that village instead of instead of or my imagined version of him into that mm. village instead of where he was. So yeah, no, the 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 ideas and things tend to sort of pop up randomly. The process is usually the same. I never really know what exactly the story will be until I have it written the first time, and then the second draft is figuring out the bits that need to be the focus, I suppose, or that need to be the theme. Um, right. And I have a wonderful writing group that we've been writing together since 2016. Three wow. of us, so we, we meet monthly and they are a wonderful help. And when I was writing the ghost lights, they were very certain on my behalf of whose story it really was. And they were absolutely right. And I didn't see that until the <laughs> second draft. And then I was reading the second draft thinking, yeah, yeah, they saw it way earlier than I do. So, I guess you know. it's hard to see things like that though when when you're the one writing it and yeah. you're so you're you're too far in it to mm -hmm. see things like that. Yeah. So were they your beta readers for it? Um, no, because they get everything like straight off the straight off the bat. So right. they get it, you know they would get the they're patient, very patient with the first draft version of of things, and they ask all the right questions, um, and all of the you know they they make sure that my focus is in the right place and that I'm not always making the same mistake which of course as a writer is what you do. Niall Williams who I love um, an Irish writer says that you know your your flaws as a human will be your flaws as a writer and he's yeah. absolutely right so the things that, that you focus on in life are the things that you avoid so I'm very conflict avoidant so I find it very difficult to write conflict I usually have to you know gear myself up and it can only go in kind of in draft two there'll be the sort of um avoidance bit in, in draft one to be like you know insert argument yeah. <laughs> um, confrontation here yeah, so then I have to go back and put that in, in draft two and I usually have to sort of brace myself to do it but yeah so the process is usually sort of the same I suppose but the the ideas just come from wherever I don't know somewhere just random could be a song lyric or a headline or just something you've been you've been thinking about you know Something to just spark mm. inspiration. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I usually say, you know, I'm, I write based on whatever I'm most interested in at the time, so whatever question I'm, I'm kind of thinking about. And I said that for years, you know, and thought I, I thought it was true, and it is to a certain extent, but actually I think it's more true to say the question is always, you know, what am I afraid of right now, you know? So when I was writing Winter People, um, one of the things that I'm interested in as an idea is the idea of unconditional love and whether or not that exists or whether it's a pop we've been sold or you know <laughs> is is love unconditional or is it just untested so you know how far can you push people away before it's too far mm -hmm. so I, I think that was something I was afraid of um, when I was writing Winter People so it's a way of kind of poking into that and seeing well, what are the limits on that fear or if if 
So again, as I said, all the characters are me. So if I do this, this happens. If I do that, that happens. So mm. it's a way of, of working through the, the various options. Which is also interesting um, with Winter People, given that all the characters are very different, mm. including like at completely different points of their life, whether mm. that's in age or career or anything, which mm. then... I think with you know with each character that you then come out with a different answer mm-hmm. as to whether love yeah. is unconditional. Do you think you answered that question for yourself at all? Or? Um, I think I am a little bit clearer on it. I mean, you could tell by my tone that I'm not convinced. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would be more certain, I suppose, of the degree of of. So maybe unconditional isn't the right word. That like the degree of pushing that's um, allowable or, or where the way back is from. I, I was trying to describe it to somebody once and saying it's about, you know, people trying to find the words. And, you know, you're not all, people aren't always great at finding the words. So if you if you push people to a certain extent and you push them away, then how are there, like, are there words that will bring them back again? Mm. And I don't mean, you know, your conventional sorries or whatever. Yeah. I mean, something that's much more grounded in the relationship, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And much more, you know, tailored to that person mm. and, and how you feel you could bring them back into your life as well. Because mm. obviously, you know, every, every relationship's different and you've got to handle it differently based mm. on how you've pushed them away. I'm obviously thinking largely of Sis Cotter yes. here. Um, and, you know, speaking of it, is she based on anyone you know or is she kind of completely imagination or a mm. mixture or she's not based on anyone I know um but I would have older women in my life who are very important to me and who are very strong they're nothing like her like to be clear <laughs> um in in their life circumstances and in the way they go about things they're nothing like her but they would have a similar um strength of character or strength of belief um, and I liked to to think of her as, you know, she was a woman that would find choices for herself where there really weren't any. Because women mm. of her uh, age group, I suppose, wouldn't, you know, there would have been periods when they didn't have a lot of choice. Um, so like marriage breakdown, for example, wasn't acceptable. Um, there was no divorce in Ireland, you know, when she would have been going through all of that. So but also she was stuck in that in that phase where, you know, to be to be a mother was sort of the only road for you Mm -hmm. and she was you know she was trying to escape that a lot of the time so she would go into the kitchen to make food and just keep going out the back door and down onto the beach and you know forget the dinner and and whatever so she was really trying to find a way to be I suppose um in a in a time that didn't maybe didn't fit her she maybe had made a more modern sensibility I don't know Mm. um but no she's not based on anybody real but in terms of being a sort of a spiky contrary older person could I see myself growing into her I mean (laughs) certainly almost certainly yeah see glimmers of yourself in there (laughs) yeah yeah maybe I mean the the thing is though like there's there's I found her a completely not not even likable character necessarily just relatable like Mm. that I just understood so much of what she was doing without her explaining why Mm. or you know anything like that and you know even the way she describes hanging things over all of the mirrors in the house that's mm. one of my favorite descriptions in mm. in the whole book and you know I think you know people would think oh she you know she doesn't want to look at herself because of regrets but it's actually doesn't feel to me like it's anything to do with that it's it's to do with not wanting to look at herself or not wanting to see her reflection without seeing it in, like, this other person. Mm. And she is more 
at a loss for him not being in her life than mm-hmm. her children, which is very rare (laughs) and hardly ever really explored which again Mm. is really interesting given that you know whether she wants to be a mother or not Mm. wouldn't have been a conversation at the time that she was having children Mm. and you know you get that sense of you know does she even want to reach out Mm. to them or does she feel obliged but you never get that sense of regret from her Mm. of her decisions she's very much She's more regretful of the house mm. and how that's ended up than her relationship with the children, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, I think she, she chose her husband and she paid a high price, really, for that choice, both in, in terms of her children being unhappy with it as a choice she made. And again, for women who were much younger than her, who would see a, a much bigger array of choices maybe than would have been there at the time. Um, but yeah, I think the highest price is is the house and mm. the, or rather she thinks the highest price is the house and the beach and everything that that meant to her. Mm. That um, having grown up there and it being so much part of who she was. Mm. And the dog as well. Yes. Which just, it's, it's so lovely. But, you know, dogs are often like you, you talk about a puppy and a baby mm. being mm. similar in, in how they are when they're raised and, and all of that kind of thing. And you mm. think the love that she has for that dog, mm, yeah. I would say, is far more unconditional than the love <laughs> that she perhaps has for well, her children. It's much easier with dogs because <laughs> yeah. they, don't, they don't have the same expectations. Talk back. <laughs> You've been out all day and the dog is just, there's no sense of, well, where were you? You know, you come in mm. and they're like, yay, you're home. You're yeah. the best thing ever, you know. So no I judgment. No judgment. Which yeah. I think no is, blame, yeah. Which, of course, is a huge thing, so. And the... The, like, sheer raw loyalty Mm. that you get, you know, and and this dog that is with her Mm. kind of through everything Mm. where she doesn't need to explain herself or apologise or try and rekindle a relationship with them, Mm. which, again, is another very telling thing in the story, but... Mm. Oh, it's so it's so beautiful, and I love that dog. That dog, <laughs> that dog breaks my heart. It's so it's so nice, and like their long walks on the beach mm. are just. I think every person's dreamed to go on a long walk on a beach with a dog <laughs> on the Irish coast. It's just lovely. I do that a lot. I can say my dog is not a dream on a beach <laughs> on the Irish coast. She is a disturber of the peace. Um, Don't and try and relax on the beach. The only dog in West Cork who is on, at the beach on her lead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's... Uh, you love her, but there's no trust. <laughs> she doesn't have any boundaries. Yeah. yeah. Aww. So Does she like the water? She, no, not really. No, she, she loves the beach. She gets very excited when we arrive. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, she's she's a bit... She's a rescue and she's a little bit... Um, Aww. She's a little bit uh, excitable, yes, but a bit uncertain maybe about certain things. So uh, she can get sort of barky and a bit in other dogs' business. So... <laughs> Got yeah. to see what everybody's doing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What am I missing out on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can relate to that as well. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yes, with the beach as well. You know, we were talking about this earlier. Like, mm-hmm. I can just, I can envision it entirely. Mm-hmm. The kind of the walk from the house to the beach, and you know everything that reminds her of her life. Like, mm-hmm. it, I can envision it completely. But you know, again, was that something that was? Is that an actual place? Is that actually you know? The Irish coast that you're thinking of? Um, it absolutely is. It is not one specific beach, though. I mashed together um, <laughs> several of my favourite beaches. So one of which I walk on all the time. Um, so I took small details from that. So Garrettstown Beach near us. Um, I 
got the idea for Bunty's Cove from that because there's a little sign on Garrettstone Beach that says Molly's Beach and I thought Aww. okay well that's that's you know I'm going to I'm going to use that um but the, the layout of the beach and the beach itself is is a kind of a composite of other ones um that I have walked and and loved and that would be sort of meaningful um the one of them is Inchdani Beach which is special to our family in that it's it's where we go on my on my daughter Ali's anniversary and on her birthday um because there's a great sense of joy there you know a great sense of um I don't know what the word is we had a, a brief family holiday there with her when she was a baby so I have very fond memories there and she feels very alive to me there and I, I so I, I have a great faith in the beach and in the sea as a sort of a rejuvenating a spiritually rejuvenating mm. um uh experience even though I'm not I'm not very spiritual as a person um I was reading John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed recently and he oh, quotes, that's amazing it's a gorgeous book yeah and he quotes somebody and I, I can't think who now where he's talking about a river and he says um a river is nature's plot line because it takes you from A to B and I thought mm. that the line stuck with me and I thought that's lovely and I thought for me the sea is nature's do-over it's always the same but it's always different and you it always there's that sense of being able to start again mm. you know so um I, I get that from the beach and when I'm walking so even during Covid it was really when I was writing Winter People I wasn't by the beach for that um we were for the, the really severe lockdown um, we were slightly too far from the beach but we do have an estuary that comes right into the bottom of our village so I was able to walk beside that every day so the tides are coming in you know so you've, the right. sea water is meeting the river and it's really so there's a great there was a great sense of, of peace and we were very lucky really that we had that you know mm. so I would go out and I would walk that in the mornings and I would imagine that I was you know <laughs> listening to waves and everything and um, that very much informed the setting of the book yeah lovely mm. and is there like a is is the cottage is Sis Cotter's cottage along the <laughs> the coastline of one of those beaches? Um, not specifically hers, but one of the beaches, all right, has has a couple of houses there that I looked at and thought, mm, yeah, I could I could imagine I could imagine her living in that house. Um, obviously, it wouldn't be a house I had ever been in. This <laughs> is purely judging it now on the outside. Um, so yeah, and the blue house, you know, I could picture I could picture what that would be like again, just never having been inside any of the houses beside that particular beach but I, I um, the the contrast between the two of them and the feel of the two of them and the idea of these two women with these totally different lives and circumstances and yet each watching the other and, and having this whole imagined rich life for each of them and they're so wrong you know? mm. and I, I think that came out more strongly in the second draft because during Covid, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of people watching each other and thinking, yeah. "Well, everyone has it easier. That person has it easier. Mm. Don't you wish you were this or that?" And I think that kind of comparison um, at the start there was very much a kind of a community feel. True, but I think that comparison, um, particularly when you know the vaccination started and who was getting what and what was happening, mm. I think that that comparison was sort of threatened that sense of community that was there. And also, of course, people don't know each other's circumstances. So I, I was interested in in poking into that. Um, I think for that reason. So I think if I had written the book at any time that wasn't COVID-y, I don't know, would that have been as strong a theme in it? Yeah. Which is, again, no counterfactual, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I I, think maybe. Because it is, you know, it like you were saying with COVID and everything, you, you mm -hmm. get that sense of 
you know, well, if everything looks fine, why are they getting the vaccination mm. first? And you don't know, you know, someone could be extremely vulnerable, but because they don't look it, mm. you then start to question things. And, you know, is, you know, a twitcher looking out their window, you know, mm. we all are guilty of spying on neighbours and mm. seeing what's going on if someone's mm. walking outside the house. But, you know, that they, they are kind of the epitome of, yeah, like kind of, the grass is greener mm. and I'm going to be looking at this other house and they're definitely going to be living a better life because mm. I'm going through something. Whereas, you know, both can be true. You mm. can be going through something and they can be going through something absolutely. and that can exist side by side. Yeah, absolutely. And also there's going to be parts where they wish that was them, you know, Mm. maybe they wish they were alone in this house with this dog and mm. you know or maybe they wish they were younger and mm. had a do-over mm. and you know a fresh start and there's just elements where you can envy the other people but can also appreciate that that's maybe parts of their life that they don't like mm. and that they're not happy with mm. one of the things I enjoyed doing was when Lydia was imagining um Sis's Christmas and she had this whole you know, vision of, you know, Granny Sis and she'd be there with, you know, the, the daughters and her grandchildren and she'd be surrounded by love and surrounded by people and nothing could have been further mm. from the truth, you know. Or And then Sis, of course, thinking that Lydia was only a summer person, um, that she just, she wouldn't be able for the weather and what was she doing here at all and, of course, having no idea what mm. why Lydia was there and exactly why she wasn't going out into the into Yeah, the, the, the outrage of a summer person yeah. showing up in the winter was... Yeah. <laughs> It was almost funny because yeah. it's so accurate that you mm. would think that when, you know, like they're a summer person, they're not a local, they're mm. not, you know, in the community, they're just one of those passers-by. Mm. Like, yeah. it, it anyone, is so interesting. Anyone who lives anywhere near, you know, somewhere that gets very heavily touristy in the summer would know <laughs> that feeling of when October comes and you can go... Yes. to yourself again so you can you, know, you can drive to the shop more easily or you can walk around or you can go into town and get parking and it's you know it is it's a different it's can a walk, different thing walk down sure. the beach and not be surrounded by people on their towels absolutely yeah <laughs> and now you've got your new book coming out in yes. april um yes. which we're very happy again to be publishing called I'm greener delighted that legend will be bringing it out yeah oh so are we especially like you know it, it feels like with each new book there's just this sort of growing anticipation for your next one so it's so exciting that we've got another one in April and it feels like you know I I do love this about your books that none of them are kind of related to each other it's this all new thing I'm now obsessed with the fact that you see yourself as like these are all different (laughs) versions of yourself (laughs) I'll keep that in mind when I reread it when the edit comes in for Greener um but yes so could you give us a summary of Greener and what it will entail I can so Greener is um about three women So they were very close friends as teenagers in school. They went through all of secondary school together, Helen, Laura and Annie. And part of their bonding was because two of them, their fathers had died. So they they were, I suppose, bonded together over that. Um, So they spent a lot of time in the third girl's house and Helen's house. So a lot of time in her house and a lot of time, I suppose, around her dad, maybe he would have been. Um, he would have been there and then they there's a sort of a fairly abrupt parting of the ways when they finish school Um, they all go off to do different things and then 25 years later they all end up back um, in the same place again for various tangled uh, family reasons so Helen comes back from living abroad her father uh, has 
had a stroke and her friend Annie is his carer. So I suppose there's the, the all of the tension of having been very, very close as, as teenagers, um, having known everything about each other, having mm. been, you know, the way that proximity thing is so important when you're growing up and, and your friends that, that are near you and that nearness idea. Um, and now the idea that they are older, there's so much water under the bridge. It's like that line, you know, you can't make new old friends, um, which is true. Interesting. And also, um, I'm reading Elizabeth Day's Friendaholic at the moment, which is really good. Um, and she talks early in the book about the concept of stretch and friendships being able to stretch to accommodate, you know, people being at different life stages and life mm. phases. So I suppose when the three women come back together, it's a case of, well, they have to deal with all of the fallout from what happened when they were teenagers, but also is there enough stretch in their friendships for mm. them to be friends now? And I was interested in the question of are the friends you make as an adult different than the friends you make as a child and if so why so as adults are our friendships more transactional like is it a case of well our kids are in the same school and they do the same activities and it's useful for us to be friends or we work together and mm -hmm. therefore it's handy to be friends or we're neighbors or whatever so i suppose all of those questions are are things i'm interested in or i suppose things i'm afraid of given that i just said i tend to write what <laughs> whatever my fear is so um yeah there's always a new fear happily and i think like this concept I think is fantastic I, I I loved it and I think that's because especially you know leaving secondary school as well mm. like even though you are starting to like develop as, as an adult that those years of like you know especially 25 years of like separation you will have grown and changed and mm. like not only will have you, you have done that no matter what's happening in your life, but also if something's been happening to you individually, like, mm -hmm. you know, in your environment or to the people you make friends with, if there's anything traumatic or especially happy or something mm -hmm. happened in your life, that's going to change who you are as a person so much. Yeah. So it is true, you're, you're kind of coming back with so much history mm -hmm. as strangers. But also that core of judgment that's there mm. from having known somebody really, really closely. Yeah. And like holding them up against who they used to be. Yeah. So that sense of, well, are you allowing the person to change or not? And mm. and if not, why not? So I find that interesting. And again, so we get the three women's points of view in the in the novel. Um and one of the fun things about writing friendships is, you know, when people are when people are in the same space and they're having a conversation and the conversation is happening on the surface and of course in the background are all the kind of little thoughts in their head you know which are sometimes quite mean and that's fun to write <laughs> you know they're like the mean little voice and the things so this is what you're saying and oh you listen to yourself you know so I, I did enjoy uh, leaning into that and again I would reiterate that all of the characters are me <laughs> yeah. the, the day it was announced actually I had uh more than one friend get in touch with me to say should I be worried <laughs> like no you're okay you're is okay. this person me I can feel <laughs> <Yeah>. it coming <laughs> yeah. yeah is this a really elaborate way of telling yeah. something no <laughs> and it's true that there is something in childhood friendships that mm. because you you you're so you're so yourself at that time mm. as a child you're mm. so like unashamedly yourself and then like the sort of shame and the social awareness then starts to mm. creep in as you, you get older. So it's true. I do feel like when you're an adult, even now, like, mm. you know, with friends who you met when you're younger and even friends that I have, I, I know that, mm. 
you know, some things I'll say, they'll be like, oh, that's very mature of you. Or other things I'll say, they'll be like, you could have said that in 2009. Like, that's, <laughs> you're literally thinking exactly the same way as, like, when you were 10 or something, you know. And it, there's there's more depth to that friendship. It doesn't mean it's any better. There's just more depth because there's more history there, yeah. which, yes, does mean that you're up for more judgment. It means there's room for more awkwardness when mm-hmm. there's been such a big gap. Yeah. And, you know, if there's been this abrupt change, this mm-hmm. kind of leave, then it's like, oh, well, should there have been pressure to stay friends? Should there have been more contact? Or should I be ashamed mm-hmm. that we've gone this long? Yeah, is it the same friendship or is it a new friendship? Mm-hmm. Like, where are you starting from? I think there's a real intensity um, about teenage friendship, teen- okay, teenage girl friendships, because there, mm-hmm. there are three women, obviously. Um, and that's something to do with proximity and because they were so they're my age so they would have been growing up and been friends in the late 80s early 90s and and from then on and there's at the time I don't know if it's necessarily the same now with the range of activities and things that people do that didn't used to be the case but the amount of time that you would spend in your friends houses so Mm. you would be in their lives in a way that I'm not sure teenagers are now to the same extent in like in their families Mm. so when my kids are over at their friends houses I don't know how much interaction they're having with their friends parents in the way that we would have you know so um and that idea of proximity as as part of friendships was something that again COVID threw up for me because who you can see becomes really important Mm. so like your friends who are also neighbors are hugely important to you because they're your social outlet they're the people you're going for a walk with or you know you're standing and talking over the fence with or whatever it is um so I suppose I was thinking of all of that that sort of the intensity and the proximity um as as core factors in in friendships yeah I mean it's kind of it's sad thinking about or, or like I, I found it kind of sad reading about them because it, it's so true for so many people that 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 changes, you know, that you go from spending so much time with not only a person but with mm-hmm. their family and mm-hmm. and then, you know, and you get older and then you start, once you get older, because I, I felt the same way, you know, when I was younger, I was around with my friends, I was having dinner with them and their family, mm-hmm. you know, I was hanging out with them and their siblings mm-hmm. as well, you know, yeah. you get so ingrained in, in family life and, yeah, that was mainly because we couldn't really go anywhere, we weren't mm-hmm. old enough to do anything, you weren't, we weren't allowed out at night on our own, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, so you go to the cinema with their parents you (laughs) you know if so even if you're doing things you're doing it with their family Mm -hmm. and then so when you separate from them you do separate from Mm -hmm. the family as well which is why it sounds so interesting that they all end up back in the same town with this link to one of their dads absolutely so I wanted to bring that family tangle Mm. into it you know so Helen is coming back and she is finding her old friend caring for her dad when she hasn't been able to and it's just I I like the kind of well how how would you make your peace with that could you make Mm. your peace with that should you should it even be a question should you just be grateful I don't know so Mm. I wanted to like work through all of that and what that would feel like and you I think you get this sense as well you know it's like mm, is she trying to replace me but can I be annoyed at her about that because she's then lost her dad maybe they're both Mm just looking for what the other one doesn't have, except for the fact that he does have a daughter and then she's not there. But was that her choice? Like, there's, yeah. It's true, it's so complex mm. that you don't even know, how, like, oh, I felt she didn't even know, like, how to feel about it, mm. address it. Then how does that affect 
that relationship. And I thought it was so interesting that you discussed three girls, not mm. two, mm. because the the third person in that dynamic, I feel, adds a whole new level of, like, tension and awkwardness because then it's like, oh, well, were two of them closer than the other two? Mm. Like, in, yeah. in usual life, you know, you get, oh, is there always going to be, mm. like, one friend that's closer to the other friend? Is there one that's the connector? You know, mm. you get all these sorts of things in a friendship group of three. You do, and I love that in threes, that a three is also three twos. So, you know, at some point... <laughs> one of the twos is, is going to be stronger than, yeah. than the other and that, that 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 kind of comes and goes. And funnily enough, a lot of my friend groups are in threes and I think three is a great number for a friend group. There's mm-hmm. a real, um, you know, there's a reason they say the triangle is the most solid structure you can yeah. get, you know, that it's it's just, it balances and it works. And I think it changes the expectation level. It changes the pressure level maybe um, in a way that, that I find really, uh, really helpful and really useful. But... Also, if you have somebody in the three, as is the case in my three in the book here, who's prone to the little voice or the the (laughs) most recent comer to the three, who's like the little voice going, yeah, but, you know, do they really like, is it really you? You know, so um, it was it was fun to explore that. Yeah. Fun is the right word. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's fine to say fun, you know, (laughs) and uh, like you said, you know, it's it's such a kind of. It's a unique thing, like, when you get a friendship of three, because I, too, have friendships of three that are Mm. great, but I feel like it's great because we're all of the same sort of mindset and the same kind of... on the same wavelength as each other. So it's very relaxed. There's no need to worry about some being closer than the other. Mm. But then also we all sort of met around the same time. We all worked in the same place and then we all left sort of at the same time. So then also, you know, stuff like that Mm. has has helped and like you know obviously then the three of them like all separate at the same time but are coming back for different reasons Mm. and and yeah I think I think three is such an interesting dynamic to explore Mm. but I don't want to say too much (laughs) without giving away too much but yeah yeah, no so interesting so I'm so looking forward to that coming out Um, and (laughs) uh, yeah I'm sure and I'm sure everybody else is now after (laughs) listening to that I'm not sure how coherent it was I I will be slicker about what it's about when uh, when it's closer we'll we'll get Carrie to write us a blurb and then we'll be and then we'll be fine yeah uh, explaining what it's about but it's also it's so different to winter people Mm -hmm. and the ghost lights Mm -hmm. and you know it's it feels like something completely new um, and so was that then, even though this is now your fourth book, mm-hmm. and so you've had like, you know, your writing zones for like three books, was then this different with a whole new kind of cast of characters? Or again, you know, like you said, the writing processes are all quite similar, but, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of the process, yes, but in terms of like actually getting in the heads of like three women that are mm-hmm. all connected, because obviously winter people they weren't super connected. Like, they yeah. were all living it was perifer- yeah, kind of different perifer- lives. Yeah. Whereas they are, these girls are very connected. So then was yeah. that kind of difficult or did it come more naturally? Or um, I think it came naturally in that, because I wanted to write about friendship. So in Winter People, I had been keen in the Peter and Fintan storyline. I'd been keen to write about, uh, to write a good, like good male friends, you know, mm. so um, like a, a really solid friendship. And then that led me on to thinking about women's friendships. And we talk a lot about, you know, women's friendships being much um, more straightforward or much easier or whatever. But there there is often a core um, of ease. And then sometimes the circumstantial stuff can can 
um, can interfere with that a little bit. And I just so I wanted to write about women's friendships. So then obviously they had to be three very connected mm-hmm. narratives um, and three very connected characters. But I also wanted there to be this huge distance because I was interested in that idea of you can never make old new friends um, and what that meant kind of for them as as adults. So, um, yeah, I think that was that it, it wasn't either easier. More, I, I joke sometimes when people ask that, you know, I write the same story over and over and that it's always people trying to figure out who they are, like trying mm. to work out, well, this this is what's going on in, in the context of my life or in, in my circumstances. And who am I now faced with this? Like, I like that idea of figuring out who you are in that moment you know, where you have to look life kind of square in the eye. And I think often that kind of thing can happen quite quickly. So in Where the Edges, that was the case. And in The Ghost Lights, that was the case. Um, in Winter People, less so. And I think Greener has moved away from it a little bit again in that mm. it's it's there's a s- slower coming to terms with who they are maybe yeah. or who they want to be. And of course, this is the both the good and the bad thing about old friends is sometimes they don't let you be who you are now. Yeah. And then other times they do. So it's 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 not going to be the same for all of them. But it's. Um, uh, yeah, I, just a different question. So I suppose the 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 characters grew differently, if that mm. makes sense. Because I, I can imagine it must be quite hard, you know, not letting yourself kind of run away with with one person, you know, mm. getting really because getting really into the heads of three characters like you have you know I feel like it could then be so easy like to just envision a whole life for them and then you know one of them and then Mm -hmm. wanting to talk about that one person's whole life oh and then you know Mm -hmm. there's more backstory to this person oh and then all Mm -hmm. of this happened you know Mm -hmm. and making sure that you keep it you know keep boundaries on it so that you are kind of talking about them all equally and in all of their heads equally because I feel like I would get so carried away (laughs) you know you can do like there's loads of notes that don't make it into the book Mm. in my um, study at home where I write I have a piece of stained glass that I absolutely love so years ago we were on holidays in Germany and we were in Garmisch Partenkirchen and we went one day to Oberammergau where the famous passion play is held it wasn't on that year but um, we went to an art exhibition um, and came across an artist who it turned out lived locally so it was there was a stained glass exhibition so we contacted her and she said sure come and visit she was this older lady in her 80s so myself and my husband went up and visited her and she said oh you know here's my workshop or whatever have a look around and if you want to buy anything so I bought this piece of stained glass that is sort of the perspective is from the back seat of a car so you're the person in the back so the third perspective is there and you're looking at two people in the front and one of them is wearing a hat and you're looking out the front windscreen but the three people are each seeing something different and that's exactly the feel I like in a book, <laughs> yeah. which is why I keep writing multi, multi-perspective books in that people don't see things the same way. So for every memory and every image and every understanding I have of a relationship, then the other person in the relationship has a different image and understanding of it. So mm-hmm. even though you could get carried away with one character, I find it much more interesting to say, well, hold on a second now. How did they see that? Yeah. And that's where the, I suppose, the... The, the the poking is what I call it, but the <laughs> the digging into things, you know, and and figuring out what you what you think about things or what you feel about things is by thinking, well, if that had happened differently, or if if I saw that differently, you know, what would that look like? That's so interesting, actually, because I I can now now that you said that, I can actually so see that mm. in in both 
winter people and greener and you know I I guess that that's a good way of like looking at it because as well you know now with winter people you know it's the same atmosphere not the same atmosphere it's the same location Mm -hmm. they're all next to the same beach they're all in the same town they're all in you know very close proximity Mm -hmm. but you do feel like you're living in three completely different worlds Mm -hmm. and that then makes so much sense that it's like looking at the same place with just three completely different views and mindsets mm. and personalities and because then that does entirely change the atmosphere of a place and then I guess with Greener if they're all coming back to the same town then again mm. that's like yeah they're you know, literally looking at the same and I, I'm obviously maybe it's because of having lived away I'm not sure but that idea of coming home and home being different I mean the ghost lights was mm. essentially all that um but the idea that that the, the play, you know, when you come back different to the same place, how do you, like, what degree of wriggling around do you have to do to fit back in there, you know, mm. or to to make sure that it's it stretches to accommodate you, like whichever whichever end of that that you're on, yeah, yeah, because you could be away from somewhere for like five minutes and mm-hmm. something could happen mm-hmm. that could change the way you view things, and so then when you go back to something so familiar mm-hmm. with now kind of a different set of eyes Mm. it then completely changes you know how that is to you and how you see it Mm. that's so interesting well got to read greener to find out now (laughs) (laughs) nicely done yeah (laughs) slip that in there (laughs) this is why you do this bit yeah (laughs) just push the marketing now Um, and one last thing before I talk to you about your favourite book okay. um, is just something we were talking about earlier that I thought was so interesting is that you always have a title in mind when you mm-hmm. start reading. So ha- has the title ever changed as you've been writing or has it always been the same title it from the get-go? It has always been the same. Um, greener was originally called Green, very briefly. It became right. Greener very quickly and... I knew straight away that that was that right. felt right. Yeah. So when I start writing, I so once I just not decide what I want to write about, but once I have an idea for something, I'll make loads and loads and loads and loads, and I do that for months, um, and then I don't start writing until the title settles because the title tells me the direction of it gives me the tone maybe of mm. the book maybe that's what I'm looking for. So winter people. Once I had that, I knew. Okay, that's that's the tone. I know who winter people are. I know yeah. what it means to be a winter. I mean, I am a winter person. I know what it means <laughs> to be a winter person. You know, so there is. It's summer is more about um, like lightness, maybe or maybe a degree of performance or or whatever. In winter, people are are spikier and they're closed in on themselves a little bit more. So I knew once I had the title that this these mm-hmm. were the, the people the way these people were going to be. Um, and yeah, so it's, it just, it gives me a a feel for the book and then I can write towards that. I don't always get it right. Um, in terms of, you know, not everything will match. I, Kevin Barry, actually the wonderful Kevin Barry has a theory where when you're writing a first draft, you write a sentence that you really like. Um, and in that sentence, like it'll encapsulate everything that you want the book to be. So he says, write, write that sentence somewhere and then you write towards it. Um, so I do that. I have a blackboard beside my desk and I will write the sentence. So for, for winter people, it was, um, for winter people, it was, that's all we're left with these days. Everyone having their say and no one listening. It's worse than nothing. So that was from, that was sis from the original short story, actually, that was in, um, 
and I knew from that what the tone of the book was. So I feel the same about the title, that mm -hmm. it just it's something that you're going towards and everything that you write then either fits with that or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't fit, then it's changing the kind of book you're writing. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's and that's so interesting from like a writer's perspective of mm -hmm. a good way to focus yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know, obviously, you said you have those uh, women in your club that like help you kind of yes. focus as well. But you know, even though it's great to have them do that once you've written something, but mm -hmm. in order to write something, you need yeah. Yeah. to have that central point. Yeah, and you can feel if if you know the tone you're going for, you can feel whether or not it's in keeping with it or not and happily <laughs> so far um legend have always been absolutely fine with my titles <laughs> yeah. nobody has said mm, you know what we're not sure because i i i'm not sure what i would do i might spontaneously combust <laughs> my sense of self would be uh cracking i think i don't know or certainly my sense of what the book is i think would be it would be would have to shift a little bit maybe i mean I think because you've that, you know, it would make no sense to us to then change it because mm. you've written it around this title, and mm. we've never once read one of your books and thought this, you it know, yeah, 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 this doesn't suit at all. And yeah. and I think, I think if we thought that that the title didn't make sense, mm. then we would be missing something mm. when reading the book. That mm. I think that would then be the issue rather than the title itself what being I'm wrong. Is it would be fixable in edits and the title could stay the same. <laughs> yes, we will rewrite the <laughs> book. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, but it's, you know, obviously mm. it's it's very nice, you know, knowing that the, mm. that the title is sorted. And I think as well with something like that, it's then great for a cover designer because mm -hmm. then they get the whole tone of the book in, mm -hmm. in the title, like mm -hmm. you said. So then yeah. it's kind of, I, I do feel like with your books, we're, we're much more like lax. Our, our cover briefs are, are much more vague and we're more kind of giving it to the cover designer to mm -hmm. be like, right, you know, we have these kind of ideas, but mm -hmm. really here's the title, here's the mm -hmm. sort of the question or, yeah. or the tagline that's answered in the book, like, take that and mm. and then obviously you know I've, they've all done an absolutely I've loved every I've loved every cover so it's yeah. it, it's it's all been working it has. So. They've, all been, they've all been perfect yeah so if anyone's looking for advice on writing you know maybe start with the title because that's so you know oh, before well before today I thought focused, maybe. I thought title would be like the last mm. the last thing that would be thought of rather than the first so it's mm. it, I mean it's really interesting that could be the thing that you know suddenly like unlocks someone mm. or even you know yeah like kind of puts a boundary on on if they've got you know when someone's just got so many ideas mm. that could really help like you said focus and like kind of lock them into something so that they can actually delve into that the ideas they've got rather mm. than just sort of carrying on into like four five six different stories because mm. I know that our editors sometimes look at something and they're like this is one book but it could be five mm. different books because yeah. so many things are, are brought up in it yeah. so yeah it's definitely it's a great writing technique well I think it is anyway I think your books are, so far, are proof <laughs> I mean in five years time I might be doing something completely different, but for now this is it, it it works for me and once the title settles there's a real sense of certainty like a, a kind of a um, like a, a, sen a core sense of certainty, you know, you feel mm -hmm. that something is 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 right or fits. Fits, I suppose, is a better word, yeah. Because yeah. I guess and then... Once then it fits, I can, I can start. It's like finding the corner pieces of a puzzle and yeah. then everything else just sort of works its way mm. into place. Mm. Yeah. Well, you've also... Oh, well, I'll ask you quickly first. Okay. So, as a writer with four 
beautiful books. <laughs> What's your favourite book, either of 2023 or just recently, that you've read mm. so far? Okay, I've read some brilliant books so far this year. Standout, though, I think, is We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman, which is the story of two, and you'll see why I picked it, the story of two um, lifelong friends who are very much entwined in each other's lives, um, very much each other's person, and one of them is now in hospice. So she's obviously at the end of her life and that's they both know that and it's acknowledged. And it is, it's just, it's a beautiful book. It's really, um, uplifting seems like a sort of a strange word, but I think it celebrates all that's great in friendship while not shying away from how awful things can be, you know? Mm. And my, my reading sweet spot is, is bittersweet books. And this absolutely falls into that category. It's really life affirming. It's funny, last year I read Maps of Our Spectacular Bodies and absolutely loved it. And sometimes books about, you know, illness and, and death and dying can just be the most, um, again, uplifting, not the right word, but can, can Somewhat just be comforting. the most, well, no, full of life, like mm. really full of life. Mm. So the most vibrant and furious and alive sorts of books. So yeah, I absolutely love that and would heartily recommend it. Sounds like it could be quite a sad one though. Maybe <laughs> need the tissues for reading that one. Yeah. yeah, but you know, that's life. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that, yeah, that completely resonates for me with Winter People because... Mm. There was never a sense, even though I feel like there should have been, like when you kind of summarise what it is, but there was never a sense of absolute defeat mm. or just complete loss of hope mm. or anything. Like um, it, it was harrowing, but, you know, yeah, up, uplifting mm. in a set. There was just always something there that was... Yeah, that light mm. rather, you know, and almost finding a light in the darkness is more rewarding mm. than just summer people and finding <laughs> light amongst light, you know. Oh, we're really knocking these poor summer people. Yeah. I mean we love we love summer people, <laughs> but yeah, for, for compared to compared mm. to winter people, I yeah, like finding those kind of those glimmers in it mm. is is yeah, it's yeah. rewarding and it kind of keeps you going and also it's just more so much more realistic mm -hmm. and and sometimes you do need that yeah. kind of just brutal harsh reality in front of you yeah as a sort of comfort <laughs> and to be fair i should say in, in we all want impossible things there's great black humor in it and interesting it certainly as as irish people black humor is very much in our <laughs> and very much something that we find comfort in and that, mm. you know, gets us through. So yeah. um, that really, I, I really felt the humour in the book and, you know, it, it, you know, laughed where I was intended to laugh and so on. And um, yeah, she, she wrote that really well, the kind of the, the how you get through the awful things, you know, mm. so um, very, very much a good read. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. Well, add that to my never-ending to-be-read list. It has a beautiful cover. I know you like your pretty covers. Oh, so I do a love a cover. cover. Yeah. Okay, oh, fantastic. <laughs> sold, sold. <laughs> and uh, we've also got some lovely biscuits in front of us. I'm saving one, which is the Hassett's 
chocolate jelly star for another episode so i can't wait to try those those mm-hmm. are from ireland they're from i was gonna say from behind your daughter's school yes. so that's great um and then we've got the ones which we tried today which is the west cork biscuit company handmade biscuits oat and raisin with irish oats and we handed them out to everybody who was in the office today and there was a general consensus that these were a nine out of ten they were fantastic great bite to them nice and like crispy but then the raisins in them were nice and chewy and soft loved it with or without a cup of tea which mm. says a lot for a biscuit for <laughs> it me does, and that's a biscuit that can hold its own yeah. what, what would you give it out of 10 i would give it a nine it has everything i like in a biscuit i like mm-hmm. the kind of the chewy the chewy nature of it and it has west cork in the title i mean oh, put more what you want sold sold <laughs> yeah. so if anyone's going to ireland you've got to pick these up or if mm. anyone's in ireland they're they're fantastic highly rated from everyone in the office so i'm pretty sure we'll go back into the other room and they'll be finished off (laughs) but thank you so much for coming in today and speaking to us it's been such a great here. so that's all for this week and this year a huge thank you to Gronya for being so honest and open with us it was such a beautiful and comforting conversation for me and I hope it was the same for all of you listening I couldn't think of a better guest to wrap up the first season of another book podcast this has honestly been such a joy to work on and I cannot wait to dive straight back into talking to some more amazing guests next year Thank you all for listening and as always if you share our episodes on social media don't forget to tag us at legend underscore times on Instagram and at legend underscore times underscore on Twitter. While this is the official final episode of season one we will be releasing a Christmas special in the next few weeks where I catch up with the legend team about what books they've loved this year and what they're looking forward to in 2024. So until then have a great Monday and a lovely rest of the year everyone.